this week I do intend to continue with our series of sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, and this time where we learn about the fact that we are called to be the uh, light, sorry, the salt in society and a light on a hill. Uh, but um, in connection with that, let us turn in our Bibles to the uh, letter of Paul to the Philippians, and we're going to read together from Philippians chapter 1. The letter of Paul to the Philippians chapter 1, a chapter in which we do learn uh, what it's like to be that salt and that light in the world. This is the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making... Sorry, let me read that again, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus, and is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of my imprisonment, to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and for the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart to be with Christ, for that is far better." But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in the one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, 
and not frighted in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that I saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. So far the reading from God's holy word. Let us uh, sing together now from our book of praise, and we'll sing from Psalm 86, verse 3 and 4. Well, this morning I'd like to preach to you from the Gospel according to Matthew, from the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're going to read today and from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through to 16. Our Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. Uh, in verse 1 it says that, seeing the crowds, he went up from the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he spoke to his disciples. Now, from the end of the Sermon of the Mount, we learn that it's not just his disciples who were there, but also many crowds who are also hearing these words. And I'm convinced this is not just for the disciples, but indeed for all those who follow Christ. When our Lord Jesus Christ says this, verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, 
and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, yesterday uh, you were all invited uh, to a family day here at this bowling club. It was a, a club and hub event. Uh, it was an opportunity to get out, to meet, to greet uh, people, to have some fun, and, and to see what this club has to offer. But this family day that was here was, was also something else. It was the bowling club's way of telling us that they are changing. And in fact, in the half the speech that I did get to hear, they, they made it clear that was part of their reason for having this day. It was a day for changing. A changing in the sense that we're not, and they are not just here as a venue for people who like to play bowls together, but they are people who are here for us, for the community. They want to position us in such a way, sorry, they want to position themselves in such a way that a great and a diverse number of people might come and connect here in this place. And because we rent these facilities every week, and because we worship here, and because we're a church here, the Bowls Club wants to see Melbourne Church as a part of their greater vision for how this club and how these facilities can have a greater impact on the community. And of course, through it all, they're hoping to have uh, a revitalized bowls club with a higher participation rate also for themselves. But just thinking about this got me thinking more, not just about a bowling club, but about our church. If a bowling club feels a need to increase its connection and participation in the wider community, what about us? What about Melville Church? And what about each one of us individually? What is our connection with the Melville community? What role do we play here in Melville, in our state, Western Australia, and indeed in the world? How should we interact with one another? How do we interact with one another? And what's the consequence of our interaction with one another? Of course, we are not a bowling club. We're a church, and there's a huge difference between a club such as that and, and us as a church. We are indeed the community of God. And as such, we're also somewhat distinct from our wider community, distinct from the world. We live in a world of darkness, and we've been called out of that darkness. We've been called into God's marvelous light. But then how should we engage with a wider community? How then should we live? How should we live in this world? It is true that we fall, live in a fallen world. We actually live, the Bible says, in a crooked and a twisted generation. It's true that we live in a world that by and large remains in darkness, in the darkness of sin and of separation from God. 
But we also live in a world that God has made. We also live in a world that God says that He loves. We live in a world that God loves to the point that He said He sent His only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And we live in a world that God claims for Himself. That He says that He is the one who rules over this world. And we live in a world in which God calls for light. For His light to shine forth. And in this world of darkness, it is God's will that His light might shine through us. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. And He said, you are the light of the world. And what you are is what you must do. To be that salt and to be that light in a world of decay and of darkness. And so turning to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16 this morning, I preached to you God's word. This is my theme. Who you are in Christ is what you must be. Who you are in Christ is what you must be. Well, firstly, your identity as salt and light, and secondly, your activity as salt and light. So first of all, then, your identity as salt and light. When it comes to a Christian's position and involvement in the world, we, we feel a bit of tension. The tension is in both in how we see the world and how we engage with it. John chapter 17, our Lord Jesus Christ was praying to the Father. In verse 9, he said, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. And so there's a distinction between those of the world and those who belong to Christ. It's a distinction that is sharp. It's a distinction that is divisive. Our Lord Jesus Christ prayed further. John 17 verse 14, he said, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Uh, this reminds us also of what we just learned about last week from Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. In other words, there is a sharp divide. And sometimes also we can feel the, the pinch. We can feel the, the, the attacks on us because of that divide. But then he says this, John chapter 17 verse 15, he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So there we learn something. We are distinct from the world around us, but we are still in the world. And not only are we still in the world, but we are still called to stay in the world. And even more, we don't just have to stay in this world, but we've got to do something, do something in the world. John 17 verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And so there we learn that we're not of the world, but we may not leave the world. But rather we who are not of the world are sent back into the world to serve the world. And yet at the same time, we're to do so in a way where there is that distinction 
and that distinction is seen. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 still says, But do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, as Christians, sometimes we tie ourselves up in knots about all of this. As Christians, we have this, this push-pull sort of experience when it comes to the world. On the one hand, we're told, get engaged with the world. On the other hand, we can say, flee from the world because, of course, it's very evil. But, but really, as Christians, how, how does it all work? And what does this all mean? Well, throughout all of the church history, this, the church has really struggled with this particular question. On the one hand, uh, we've always struggled with worldliness. The, the Scriptures teach us clearly, you shall not love the world. Uh, we remind us, whenever a child is baptized, we must not love the world, but put off our old nature and lead a God-fearing life. There's a distinction. And yet we know also that this is something we so easily fall into. The philosophies of the world, the, the thoughts of the world, the practices of the world, uh, the, the sin of this world, they allure us, they, they drag us in, and we can indeed stumble and trip and fall over these things. And for us here in Melbourne churches, well, worldliness, it is a problem. Let's face it. Jesus says, or God says, uh, be holy because I am holy. But all too often, it is not a love for God or a desire for holiness that captures our hearts and minds. But rather the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, as the Bible describes it. And so indeed, worldliness is something we need to be aware of. But there's also some other way in which the church has struggled with this, this call of being in the world but not of it. Already in the time of the early church, there were Christians who were so convicted of their sin and of the sin around them, they concluded the only way to escape this sin is indeed to escape the world itself. And so in the first days of the early days, they would actually get up and they'd go, particularly to the, to the deserts in, the, in northern Africa. Uh, they were called the Desert Fathers, and, and they would live there on their own. Uh, in caves, uh, someone even on the top of a high pole. Uh, they'd be there on their own with the idea that if, if there's just me and God, that's what's going to make me holy. Well, first of all, they discovered it didn't make them holy. And secondly, of course, this is not what God commanded them to do. Moving on from there, uh, they concluded, well, we can't actually practice all that God calls us to do on our own. So therefore, we should be these little holy huddles, these cloisters, these, these monasteries where we can get together as monks and nuns and so forth. Uh, in our separate places, of course, and, and there we're going to be holy together. And even that, of course, didn't work. Because we know that, indeed, it's not just simply that the world and worldliness is out there, but this is something which is in our own hearts. But more than that, it's also not what God has commanded us. Because He commands us, indeed, that we are, indeed, to be engaged in the world in which God has placed us. And this is something for us to think also as a church, also as a Reformed church, you know, we, we, we don't accept the idea of, of monks and nuns in monasteries and so forth. But this whole idea of, of trying to shut ourselves off with the idea that somehow that's going to keep us better is a situation, something we also struggle with. But God has said, and Jesus prayed. He, Jesus said, he said, I do not ask that you take them out of this world. But instead, God has given to us a task in this world. Jesus said and at the end when he was about to ascend into heaven, he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. In other words, going into all the world. We cannot escape this world because we've got a task in this world. 
And that task is to make disciples. And that task is to to see that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is proclaimed. And this is a task that we have all the way until the end of time when Jesus comes back. And when we're going to see him and we're going to be there in his fullness. But now we've got to think about, well, what exactly does it mean? And how exactly are we doing this? And what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew chapter 5 is that it is when we are different to the world that we can actually engage with it. And that's important for us to think about. When we are different to the world, that's when we can indeed engage with it. Because we are what the world is lacking. We are, and this is not so a, a measure of arrogance to say this. Because ultimately, of course, it's not what's inside us in and of ourselves. But we are what this world needs. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. And you are the light of the world. Well, first of all, you are the salt of the earth. I I trust we all know what salt is and we know how important it is for our daily lives. Uh, whereas today it's true, we need to be careful, we do not consume too much salt. Uh, we, we literally cannot do without it. Our bodies crave it, our bodies need it. We use our salt also in our cooking. We, we, we use it for flavor, we use it to preserve foods, uh, especially for meat. We, we use it to cleanse wounds as, as a disinfectant. We even use salt in our swimming pools in an effort to keep them sparkling and clean. And in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, salt was, if anything even more important for everyday life than it is today, and it was recognized as such. Israel has a warm climate. It's, it's a climate similar to ours here in Western Australia, in Perth. And without refrigeration in those days, food would perish very, very quickly. And one of the great ways that they used to preserve food, particularly meat, was with salt. And also in a time in which there were less herbs and spice and so, so forth, the salt was really needed for flavoring. And so when our Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples and to those who were there, he said, you are the salt of the earth, they understood what that meant. Although they were distinct from the world, they were called to be in the world and they had a very important task in the world. And not only were they called to be in the world, but they were expected to influence the world and to influence it for good. We do indeed live in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation. We do indeed live in the days in which evil does abound. You know, the Bible speaks about these days, people being lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and so forth, and so forth. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But our job is to do something about that. Our calling is to penetrate the world Yes, this world in which darkness reigns and to penetrate it in the manner of salt. Because we are not like that world. We who are in Christ are different. Although that's what we were like, like all those in the world, as the Bible says, we have been washed. 1 Corinthians 6:11. you have been washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And now, and this is, this is the, the message which Christ is teaching us here. So, 
you who have been taken out of the world are now being placed back in the world, not so that the world might influence you, but so that you might influence them. Lord Jesus goes on to say, Matthew 5 verse 13, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, people have wondered for centuries, how, how can salt lose its flavor? How can salt lose its taste? And commentaries have pointed out that, well, this salt that comes from the, the Dead Sea area was full of a lot of other impurities, and sometimes you can actually have it that the salt's leached out, and you've just got a few little crumbles of other crystals left behind. It's true. But we don't need to think too deeply about what Jesus is saying. The point that the Lord Jesus is making of here is that if you are in Him, if yours is the kingdom of heaven, as we've been learning about in the Beatitudes, then you will be salt. You will be different to the world. You will also have to remain different to the world. Otherwise, your witness will be lost. And actually, you won't even be a Christian anymore. This is a warning that we need to hear, to listen to, to, to think about. If, if you go about your daily business, if you engage in your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues in the world, should you fail to do so as a Christian, not only are you putting your own relationship with God and indeed your own soul in danger, but you would also be held responsible for failing to be salt to others. And that's why you'll be like that salt which is thrown out and trampled underfoot. So that's why Jesus calls us to be salt. But after describing us as salt, the Lord Jesus goes on in Matthew 5, verse 14 and 15, and he describes us as light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So this is the other illustration Jesus uses here, the light of the world. You cannot be hidden. And you who are in Christ, it must be evident to the world that lies in darkness. To be called the light of the world, it is a striking thing to be called. Remember, John chapter 8, verse 12, it's Jesus himself who's called the light of the world there. John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. But it is indeed because of Jesus that we can now be called the light of the world. Because we become the light of life, the light of the world in Him and through Him and on account of Him. Uh, two Bible verses about this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God has said, light, let, light, let light shine out of the darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So He's shone in our hearts and giving us the light of knowledge. Ephesians 5 verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And therefore walk as children of the light. And so it is those who are in Christ... who are indeed that light of the world. And it's also important to understand that the only way to be that light of the world and the only way to be the salt of the earth is to be that in Christ. We are not a salt and light outside of Him, but it's only when we are His that we become this. And this is important for us to understand. Being a Christian isn't simply going out and doing a, a bunch of lovely things. 
But being a Christian is in the first place being joined to Jesus Christ himself. To being redeemed in him, to being forgiven in him, to being changed in him, to being made new in him. And it is then when we are made new in Jesus Christ, when we are then Christians, that we are indeed called and declared to be the light and the salt. And indeed, what Jesus says here in verse 13 and 14, this is indeed a, a very clear statement of fact which he's saying here to every Christian. He's not simply saying you need to be a light or you need to be salt. But he actually says you in the sense of you. You are the one. You are the salt of the earth. And you, you, the one who is the light of the world. It's a statement of fact and it's a strong one. If you are in Christ, this is what you are. It also shows us that to be this soul, to be this light, it's not a special class of Christian. Oh, some who are holier than me or some who are actively engaged full-time in, in, in ministry and so forth. They are the salt and they are the light and so forth. And I just go along with my daily tasks. No way. This is indeed uh, not given to a special class of Christian or an elite group. But each one of us who is in Christ is indeed declared to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's who you are. And that is your identity in Christ. Brings me to my second point, and that is your activity as salt and light. Now, the basic meaning of Christ's words in Matthew chapter 5, it's, it's clear. In Christ, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And who you are in Christ is what you must be. But what does it look like in practice? How then should we live? And what is the desired result of how we live? Well, we read together from Philippians chapter 1. And in this chapter, we read about a church community that was molded and shaped by the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, and of a church that clearly lived out of the gospel of grace or so. Uh, Paul begins this letter, Philippians chapter 1, by thanking God for the partnership that he had with them in the gospel. This is verse 5. I thank God always because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He had a close association with them. Fellowship. This is that partnership. Another word for this is fellowship. It was rooted and based, this fellowship, this partnership was rooted and based in the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. That they were all forgiven in Him, they were all healed, restored in Him, and they're all now one in Him. And, as, and such they were, verse 7 says, they were partakers with Paul of grace. In other words, sharing in the gospel with Paul, their whole life was shaped by it. And this led Paul to say this in chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. I'd like to read that. Philippians 1, verse 9 to 11. He said, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What this is teaching us is the gospel brings with it a new life, a life that is directed to the praise and the glory of God. A life that, verse 27 says this chapter, that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And a life in which 
you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And verse 28 and 30 explains, it, it's a life in which you are bold for the sake of the gospel. You're not frightened by opponents, but you're rather you're willing to suffer persecution for Christ's sake. And it's also a life that, as was the case for Paul himself, that is done to serve the advance of the gospel, verse 12. And so that Christ might be proclaimed in every way, verse 18. And verse 14, that leads us to be bold, to speak the word without fear. And so the partnership or the fellowship of the gospel the Apostle Paul enjoyed with the church of Philippi, it was a partnership that was to be lived out of the gospel in every way. First of all, it affected the relationship within the church community itself, the relationships of the church of Philippi also with Paul himself, that they were together, one in the gospel. Then it also affected the, the holiness of the church of Philippi itself and how they grew in knowledge and understanding and, in, and a de deep desire to serve God and to love Him with all their heart, soul, and mind. And this was shown also in the way in which they conducted themselves. This in turn caused the, the community around them in Philippi to see this, to take notice. Yes, it caused some to oppose them, just as Paul himself had been imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. But it gave them boldness also, and even just seeing Paul in prison for the sake of the gospel, it gave them boldness that they would not only just be living for Christ, but they'd be speaking for him also. And so this then is a, an entire life which is shaped and molded by the fact that they belong with body and soul to Jesus Christ. That they were his new creation. That they were now a community in him. And this then set them apart from the world, but also caused them to live in a specific way in the world as the community, the redeemed community of God and Jesus Christ. And that's then what Jesus is describing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The gospel of salvation, it's got to be working in you so that as you grow up in Christ, you're going to be transformed. You're going to be changed. You're going to be more and more like him. And as a result, in both what you say, what you do, you're going to be proclaiming the gospel of salvation to, of Christ into this world. And that is how it must be. You cannot be salt that is saltless. That is no longer salt. In other words, and this is another way of putting it, you cannot believe the gospel and not be transformed by the gospel. And you cannot be light that is put under a basket, that stays to yourself, that hides from the world. To the contrary, you who are in Christ are like a city that is on a hill that cannot be hidden. People know and they must know that you're a Christian. And they must know this because they see this. Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And now, what are those good works? Well, they are works that are done to the praise and glory of God. First of all, it's a life that is rooted in the gospel. It's not just doing a bunch of nice things. 
It's things which you're doing in a life that you're living on account of the fact that you know who Christ is as your Savior. It's a life characterized by what we previously learned in these Beatitudes, where Christ speaks His word of blessing of those who are poor in spirit, who mourn for sin, for the effects of sin, who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are that peacemaker, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You see, this is how a Christian who's transformed by the gospel, how he's called to live, is expected to live. But from here on, the, the Sermon on the Mount is going to go into some very practical ways in which we, as God's people, are to be living before Him. How we are to live as this salt of the earth, as this light of the world. Uh, we're going to live out of love, love even for our enemies. Uh, we're not going to live out of, out of anger, but we're going to be transformed. We're going to be changed in the way in which we deal with others and speak to others. We're going to show our love to the poor, to the destitute. And we're going to be gracious to them, even to our own hurt. We're going to respect the lives, the bodies, the personhood of others in a manner that we do not use them for our own uh, sinful pleasures or for our own sexual gratification. We're going to respect the covenant of marriage. When we are known... As God's people will also then be known to speak the truth. And where our word is our oath. And where we can be trusted to keep our word. These are the ways in which the world will see and experience that we are salt. That we are light. And it's in this way that it can be seen that we actually have a message for a world. But even as you hear these things. Do not make the mistake that God is encouraging you to do these things with your mouth closed. Do not make the mistake that Matthew 5, verse 13 and 16 teaches us to let your light shine by your works, but, but keep your mouth shut. It's not saying that. The result of these works, Jesus explained in verse 16, is not so that you might be praised, but so that all glory might go to your Father who is in heaven. And for that to happen... They need to know about this Father who is in heaven. They need to learn about Him. They need to understand. Yes, they need to understand who you are, who you are but they also understand who you are in Christ and, and, and why you do what you do. And the only way for that to happen is indeed if, if you speak about it. And this is why the Lord Jesus gives two illustrations of what we are to be in this world. Not only does He call you to be salt, but he also calls you to be the light of the world. Salt, which is indeed has a task in the world of indeed, uh, of indeed living out of a, the life that we have in Christ. And that we might breathe the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ also to those around us. But a light in which we become that living witness to others also. A light that cannot be hidden. But a light that is in Christ and proclaims the truth of Christ to a world in darkness. And that's what we see in Philippians chapter 1. Not only were the Philippian Christians filled with all the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, verse 10 says that, but then they became confident in the Lord. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're telling others who Jesus is and why you must turn to Him. And so now what about you? And what about Melville Church? And what should we be doing and how should we be living? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven.
Remember who you are in Christ. Remember who we, the church, is in Christ. You are in the world even though you are not of the world. But you were sent into the world not to become like the world, but to influence the world, to point them to the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. So yesterday, we were invited over here, and, and a good number of us also managed to get out here to, to join in with our bowls club on their open day. A club and hub day, a day in which they declare themselves that they wish to be a bright place for our community here in Melville. A place where people from Melville will be able to come, we'll be able to mingle, we'll be able to meet one another, we'll be able to greet one another, we'll be able to be built up and encourage one another and go out again. If a bowls club sees the need to be doing this, what should we be doing as Christ church? If a bowls club sees that they cannot exist simply for themselves, but it needs to have an impact on a community, what does that really say for us as the people of God who have a message, who have a gospel message of salvation that is the answer this world so desperately needs? who have been changed, who have been transformed in Jesus Christ so that we might live for Him, that we might live out of that to Him, to the praise and glory of God's holy name. We who are called to shine as stars in a dark world. We who are called to be like a city that is on a hill that cannot be hidden. We who are called to be a light on a hill. We who have been sent into this world so that we indeed might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're not a club. We're a church. We're different. But we've got a task to do. Christ has given it to us. And if we are the salt of the earth, if we are the light of the world, let us be salt and let us be light and let us live in such a way that we're doing that to the praise of God's glory and in a love and a desire for our communities and for a world that is lost without a Christ. And so get out there. But be holy as God is holy. Be separate from the world even as you are engaged in it. Be like salt in a world that has no salt. Live from the gospel, even as you declare the gospel. Be like a light that shines brightly in the darkness. But do that even as we look forward to the time when the darkness is gone and when the earth is renewed do that until the day comes when we might be there with all God's people on the new earth where righteousness dwells in its fullness when all glory is given to God. Amen.